Welcome to Pacific Northwest Coffee and Conversation, a bi-weekly podcast where we speak with leaders in the Pacific Northwest, fighting hate and advancing social justice. I'm Mary Cypers, Regional Director of ADL Pacific Northwest. In this episode, I have the privilege of speaking with Xiao Wang, the CEO of Boundless, a Seattle-based company started by a team of immigrants and experts that has a 99.7% success rate helping clients with immigration services. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome. Shout to the podcast today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, Mary. I would love for our listeners to learn more about you before we dive into more about your life as a CEO. So in your early years, what was your and your family's immigration story from China to the U.S.? Yeah, like with uh, similar to many other immigrant families, it is a uh, surprisingly complicated one. Um, you know, my uh, mother got a chance to study abroad, and uh, she was part of the both my parents were part of the Cultural Revolution at the time in China, where they they shut down all the schools. So they've the whole life they've been looking forward to to a way of of studying in in high institutions and especially getting new new uh, ideas from different different countries and different backgrounds. And so my mother got a chance to study abroad, but my dad and I had to stay in China. So she left and I was a little over one years old, uh, which is incredible considering I have like a little over one year old now and like what, what the, you know, yeah, can you even imagine that today? Yeah. It must have been hard. And then about a year later, my father had a chance to join her, but I still had to stay behind. And so my, my father met her to finish their grad degrees in Arizona when I was about two. And then finally, I was able to join them when I was about three and a half. Wow. And then uh, once we were there, because of various situations, uh, we had to self-fund our own immigration journey. So you know, spent almost five months of rent money on immigration attorneys to do our green card applications. And you know, we're lucky that our immigration attorney was uh, knew what they were doing. And so we were able to get our green card successfully. Later on, I helped my parents through the whole naturalization process and, and studying for the exams. And eventually we, as a family, became naturalized U.S. citizens. What a journey. <laughs> but this what is like journey. compared to other family yeah. stories, like the fact that we only separated for, you know, a little under three years and like it didn't you know, take decades or, or more. You know, we yeah, we can almost like count ourselves as, as lucky. Yeah. It's amazing. I was just thinking about how I've interviewed several people on this podcast and it's like no matter what your background is or where you come from, it's amazing to think about how the immigrant experience is so baked into your and your family's DNA, you know, throughout your lifetime and even your kid's lifetime. So it's, it's amazing to think about. But I'd love to also hear about your professional journey to where you are today. I kind of saw that you worked in a variety of institutions and just went to some amazing schools where you studied and I was wondering along the way what you noticed about other immigrants and their experiences and what kind of not only informed your work today from your own perspective, but the people who you've been surrounded by in your lifetime. I think your your previous comment about like this baked in this DNA part, you know, resonates very strongly with me in the sense that Yes, America has its flaws, <laughs> and a lot of our have become very, very apparent over the you know recent years. But still, at its core, yeah, this is a land of opportunity, and and compared to like a lot of other countries in the world, and you know this idea that people come here 
wanting to make a better life for themselves and their their family and future generations is a, a fundamental part of what what has made this country the way it is today. And yeah, I think that that has carried with me throughout. I distinctly remember growing up. Yeah, there's no malice around this. It was just like matter of fact that, that, that my parents would say to me, okay, look, given the way you look, given your background and everything, like if you ever go against a up against a real American, meaning like a, a, a white native born American, and you're the same as them, you're going to lose. So you just have to work that much harder so that it doesn't become a hard decision for whoever's making that decision. And that's just been a, a driving force behind like how I have been, you know, brought up. It's like, okay, I just have to, you know, work harder. And that this like underlying prejudice and everything is just just matter of fact. And it's interesting, you know, it's kind of delightful now as someone with young children. And you know, you see a lot more representation in the media and like opportunities. Like growing up, I had none of that, right? I never saw anyone who looked like me on TV or or anyone who I looked up to honestly. And it carries through, you know, school and, and workplace. I remember I you know, joined McKinsey out of college in their New York office. And we had like 400 people in that office. It's one of the like, largest offices for that company. And while the incoming class was over a third Asian, there's only one East Asian partner, which is like the most senior like title at the company. And so I never had a, a mentor role model that you came from a similar immigrant background as myself. And especially when I veered off of the tried and true technical paths, right? If I wasn't going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, then there's even fewer people to look up to, which is why our, our latest funding round for, for Boundless, the company, uh, Jerry Yang's firm invested. And it was like, it's a moment of pride for me because he was like yeah. one of the few people with Yahoo growing up that you could point to. It's like, oh, that is a someone who looks like me who has you know been successful in the business, in this business context. So all of those things have like, I'm sure has shaped the way that I operate and the way they think. But, but fundamentally, it's been really great to see that changing over time. And what inspired you to get to the point where you co-founded and now serve as the CEO of Boundless? What kind of things did you notice or experiences did you garner maybe from yourself or from other people that led you to the point where you are? Because it's such a brilliant idea and it's kind of hard to think that maybe no one started this company decades before because immigrants have struggled for so long to achieve certain status and safety in the United States. So, I mean, I'd love to hear about like, was it a light bulb moment or was it something that you kind of came to slowly over time? The short answer is uh, I learned too much. <laughs> and you, you get to a point where you like learn about something enough that you're like, exactly what you said. How is it possible that this problem still exists and it's as complicated as it's been for generations? The longer story is I'm, I'm always a little bit ashamed of this, that I, I had taken it for granted, much like Millions of other families that like immigration is supposed to be hard. That's this rite of passage. It's this gauntlet that you had to go through that you, you meet with a group of other immigrants and you know, every person's story is even more ridiculous than the other one. It's just a badge of honor that you've made it through. Right. And I never thought to question why and why is it this way and why hasn't it changed in so long until late 2016. And then, you know, once I started asking the question why and once I started interviewing hundreds of families and immigration lawyers and government policy folks like this makes no sense. This is an age you know, where people have the world's most powerful encyclopedia in their pocket at any point in time. 
All right. And you can get any aspect of your life done pretty much online. And yet immigration still hasn't changed that you still have to go to a stranger's office and hand over your life story in stacks of hundreds of pieces of paper and then hope that it works. And so by early 2017, I had made up my mind that like somehow this needed to be solved. So, you know, we started Boundless at at that point and uh, it's been an incredible five-year journey ever since. So tell our listeners more about Boundless. For those who might not be aware of the company, what is your mission? What do you do? So fundamentally is we are trying to empower every family with the types of information, tools, and support and confidence, really, that was previously only accessible to those who could pay for high-priced attorney. And so how can we use technology and data to personalize someone's journey and make them feel like they have the best chance of success? And two dates, I'm really proud of a few things. One is we have now helped over 70,000 people successfully complete their green card and citizenship and other sort of immigration applications. We have over a 99.9% approval rate. So if you use us, we're your best bet for, for success. And now, because we now process more through our use of technology and investments there than, than any single law firm, we actually have data that no one else does around what is happening. And, and so we're shining a beam of light into this black box that's the immigration process for the first time. And, you know, nothing makes me happier when I see members of Congress citing our reports in their bill proposals, or we can spearhead uh, coalitions of hundreds of companies to influence immigration policy. And just adding a layer of data and and rigor to a conversation that was previously just more ephemeral. So what is the data telling you? I mean, especially during this wild time that we're all experiencing with this pandemic, I mean, what are some of the major takeaways that you've seen over the years, but also what is going on with immigration right now into the United States during this really hard time? It's just become a lot slower. Unfortunately. So starting in 2016, really 2017, when we started through 2020, through before the pandemic, processing times, for example, for naturalization applications already doubled from you know, around six months to around a year, as had times for applying for a lot of other categories as well. And then, you know, since then, the backlog and the number of applications that the USCIS, the, the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, the, the government entity under Department of Homeland Security that processes immigration applications, their backlog has nearly tripled right, from over 2 million applications to about 7 million applications that are pending. And so you have all of these families that are basically just stuck in purgatory. A number of our families, like as part of their green card applications, is you apply also for their work permits and their travel permits. And so until those get approved, these people can't legally work and they can't go visit their family and they can't leave the country. And there's so many constraints on the way that people live their lives. And this is a problem that was exacerbated by bad policy. And during the Trump administration, they added a lot more complexity to applications that in many cases doubled the size of applications and the amount of documents that they had to review. That's what I was wondering, like how the past administration contributed. I mean, that's what I assumed, but I just yeah, wanted so- to... Yeah, yeah I, I think you, you can't let the current administration off the hook either. Right? So yeah. it's like you, you, you started with this set of policy that increased the load on the government agencies and, and mm-hmm. the application. Then you had this 
pandemic happened, which obviously affected the way that people operate. But what's really been disappointing over the last year is that while the rest of us have all had to adapt to this new way of COVID life and using technology in new ways and and changing the way we operate, USCIS has stayed more or less the same. Mm -hmm. And so they haven't embraced technology. They haven't opened up like opportunities to streamline services. They were the longest time they had to still do services in person instead of, you know, over video conference. They had to still have wet ink signatures instead of using e-signatures. They had to use all of these giant paper applications that require a lot of time and energy to review. And so I think that, and, and, you know, they didn't properly staff up to handle all of this volume. So it's like there was a, an increasing backlog and slowdown before the pandemic. The pandemic caused a lot of disruption. And then the agency hasn't really adapted the way that, you know, most other parts of America have had to. So how can people make a difference listening? I mean, you've channeled your frustration with the system into a business, which is such a fundamentally important way for you to serve people who need this important service. But for so many of us, I mean, we see ourselves in immigrant stories through our own families, either recently or in the past. Hopefully many of us, if not all of us, can appreciate how immigrants have enriched our country and just created the kind of diversity in different communities that we see across the U.S. How would you suggest that people make a change? I mean, do you work with other community organizations that are pushing for reforms? Do you suggest that people maybe reach out directly to elected officials to talk more about how the system's broken and urge them to change it? It just, it feels so disappointing to me because it just feels like for decades we've had these conversations at the national level about how our immigration system needs to change. But the more we're polarized, the more I think that hope for change has been diminishing. So I don't know, what do you think everyday people can do to learn more and to act? As an entrepreneur, I have to be irrationally optimistic right? because that, that's that's the only <laughs> way like things, things happen. Maybe we all need to be that way these days. <laughs> Yeah. If you look at one end, you're like the last time real immigration reform happened was like 1965 and then 1986. And so, you know, there's a reason why there's, it's like, you know, 30, 40 years between each, each time. Um, I would think about it in, in, in two different elements. So there's the actual policy pieces, right? And right now it's hinging on basically one vote in the Senate to actually push forward a lot of immigration reform. And the reason for that is because, you know, because of arcane rules and filibuster, et cetera, and the, the way that it's been polarized, you can't actually get it through legislation. So immigration changes are now being stuck into, wedged into budget bills and infrastructure bills and, and other types of proposals. So there is an element around reaching out to your local lawmakers if you are not in a pro-immigrant district or you're not represented by someone to talk about this. But that's core. And so there's that part. And then there's the part around, yeah, there are local immigrant community organizations that can always use more help and resources and people who care. There's a lot of immigrant-run companies, small, medium-sized businesses, specifically, you know, in the restaurant and service industries and others who are who have been the least able due to language and resource reasons to take advantage of a lot of these federal funding and loans and grant programs that have helped other businesses stay afloat during the pandemic. 
Not to mention, you know, from a personal standpoint, at least in Seattle, like a lot of Chinese restaurants have been vandalized repeatedly over the last two years because of people's connections between coronavirus originated from with Chinese people in the U.S., which is unfortunate. So support, you know, take out at, at local businesses. But I think that the, the real groundswell is like trying to come at this conversation of immigration and, and think of this good like as in a new way. And so it's being treated as a political issue right now, but it really shouldn't be. It's two issues. It's a human issue and it's an economic issue. And for probably listeners of this podcast, the human issue is very clear. Right? They, these are people with you know families and dreams, just like everyone that's came to this country, just like my family, just like if you trace back almost every everybody, you know, someone came here with very little money in their pocket and they dream to make, make something better of themselves. But I think that that argument sort of is singing to the choir for the, the folks who care about it and like isn't effective for the, the other half of the country. But what's amazing to me and, and what I would love people to start thinking about is like, actually, there's a great economic argument on the other side. Right. And which is that looking at all the studies by the second generation, immigrants have a, a very positive and significant effect on the economy. You know, they have they, they have higher incomes, they have higher education, they have lower crime rates, they pay more in taxes, they're more invested in their community. And if you look at like half of, you know, the Fortune 500 like companies in this country are led by immigrants or, you know, for, first generation or, or, or children of immigrants. This is absolutely critical to American prosperity. You look at like the fact that birth rates are declining from the latest census. You look at the huge amounts of labor shortages are going on right now. And you're like, actually, for the sake of America, <laughs> for this country that we all believe in, there, every data, a piece of data points to the fact that this is good for America. And so whether or not you care about them as people or <laughs> human beings, you should be pro-immigration for, for long-term prosperity in this country. And so I think that there, there needs to be a more nuanced conversation whenever immigrants come up that outside of like true nativist perspectives uh, of which they're still at its core my, a minority in this country, that there's very good arguments to be for legal immigration. And that the fact that there are 7 million people right now hung in limbo, waiting to start their life, is not good for anyone, right? These are people that are here right, who can't work when we desperately need workers. That doesn't make any sense. And so it's like there's stuff that like just just should make logical sense that I wish people can can and talk more openly about and more objectively about and not make it a political like Democrats versus Republicans issue. Yeah, that framework is really powerful that you offered, I think. I'd love to also focus on boundless itself, because something that I was really impressed by is that your employee base is comprised of more than 60% women and 50% people of color. And I assume that a lot of your, your colleagues are immigrants themselves or closely tied to the immigrant experience. How have you made this happen for your tech company? And what do you think others can learn from your experience? I think at its core, it's something that, that I am proud of, but it doesn't just happen. <laughs> like is all these conversations about diversity and inclusion and blah, like it takes effort. And that means real trade-offs. It means like you have to spend longer to find the right candidate and you have to go broader and you have to go outside of your network. And like, you know, it starts in the beginning. 
I think the first sets of hires you make when you start a company really matter and set the tone for, for the organization as a whole. And so if you just hire people in your network, same background as you, probably look the same as you, like think the same as you, then it makes it so much more challenging down the road to all of a sudden say, oh, I do care about diversity and, and it is a, a core piece of like our values. And so we've been very intentional about hiring team members that represent our mission. And it doesn't mean that you have to be an immigrant, but it does mean that you have to care deeply about this mission that we're going on to actually transform this broken industry. And the way to do it from a tactical standpoint is like, look at it, the entirety of your like talent acquisition funnel. And we have a team that's like very focused on like from top to bottom, how do you, how do you source and how do you set the like the, the platform in the right way so that by the time you get to the end, when it gets narrower and narrower, that you have the right representation of either the customers that you're trying to serve or the like the team that you want to have, right? So about half of our team are, are immigrants, right? Or, or, who, or who have gone through the immigration process on, on behalf of someone else in their family. Uh, and, you know, it's... I think it's something that I'm very proud of when I look at at the team around that you know, we're all here for a greater purpose. And it's not just to achieve some sort of financial outcome, but it's that we can transform you know, millions of people's lives. Absolutely. And have ripples for so many generations too. So I'd love to end on a good note. I thought this entire conversation was great and I thought it was meaningful and inspiring, but I'd love to know our world is experiencing a lot of challenges right now in so many different ways that you alluded to. I mean, we're not only living in a pandemic, but this is a time where prejudice is, you know, at an all time high. And of course we've seen a rise of API hate and just so many other challenges, but what gives you hope for a better world right now? I have a second child coming in next week. <laughs> and, Congratulations. And there's again. something about, and then, so this is my second. So my first one is, is almost two years old now. And it's been only a pandemic baby. Yeah, and only seen his grandparents, you know, a handful of times at, at, at best. But there's something. Every morning when I go to that, yeah, go to his crib. And then he gets up and he smiles. And he's like all excited to start his day. Right, and have his banana and have his cup of milk. <laughs> that it just gives you this perspective that you know, like we are, we're meant to be excited about every day. We're meant to be like incredible. Like you know, maybe today he'll see an owl or a bear. Those are his like two new favorite words somewhere. You know? and maybe today hopefully he'll not see, in like, your house. Yeah. <laughs> just on shirts, and and it's like I think that that that's just been a oh you know yes it's been hard obviously with COVID closures, everyone's life, no one's living their best life right now. But if you just take this, like, you know, as cliche as a sound, this like innocent ebulence of, of a child, you can't have like, look, we'll, we'll figure this out. We'll get yeah. through this. We'll be better off for it. And like, you know, we'll look back, there'll be incredible movies and books written about, you know, the last couple of years. And we're going to be, you know, stronger as a society afterwards. And that's worth working hard and fighting for. Absolutely. Well, Shao, thank you so much for being on, for talking about your amazing company, Boundless, and so excited to see all the wonderful places that you take your work baby and your real babies as well. So a huge congratulations on your upcoming arrival and thank you for being with us. Thank you again, Mary.